If you enjoy this podcast and you want to learn more about Bitcoin, then make sure to subscribe to our free newsletter. Every Friday, we send out insights into macro, Bitcoin on-chain, and Bitcoin mining. Join over 100,000 existing subscribers by clicking the link in the description or going to newsletter.blockwareintelligence.com. This video is sponsored by Stampseed. You plan on holding your Bitcoin for decades, so you need to make sure that your seed phrase is documented in something that can last just as long. Stampseed's signature titanium plates and stamping kits do just that. If you simply write your Bitcoin seed phrase down on a piece of paper, it's vulnerable to fire, water, and all sorts of erosion that can happen over time. Make sure you keep it secure for years to come. Head to stampseed.com and use the code BLOCKWARE15 for 15% off the entire website. You wouldn't walk down the street with a giant sign that has your home address on it. So why would you do the same on the internet? You need to use a VPN. Orca VPN is a service that encrypts your internet connection and hides your IP address, ensuring your online activities are private and secure. Orca VPN works on all different devices, Windows, Mac, iOS, Android, and Linux. Head to orcavpn.co and use the code BLOCKWARE and you can access Orca VPN for just $1.99 a month. For less than the price of a cup of coffee, you can ensure that all your internet activity is private and secure. Again, that's orcavpn.co, O-R-C-A-V-P-N.co. Welcome back to the Blockware Podcast. This week, I'm proud to welcome Luke Mikic. Luke, we were talking offline, and you threw out the number 64 million per Bitcoin. So let's just jump right into it. What's the math behind that? How did you get to that number? Yeah, so it's 64 million by 2030. So I wrote this article in 2021, looking at Bitcoin through the lens of it being an emergent uh, technological revolution. And I said, uh, hey, look, if Bitcoin is going to be adopted by the masses, it's going to be adopted in an exponential fashion. So that is why I get to the deadline of 2029, because I looked at uh, many of these other previous technologies that have been adopted mainstream in the past 50 years. So I looked at things like the internet and I looked at the smartphone. And if you look at both of those technologies and their adoption curves, on average, it takes them around 10 years to go from 0% adoption to 10% adoption. And then they hit like an inflection point and they go from 10% adoption to 90% adoption. And a lot of people will say, oh, but Bitcoin's not at 10% uh, you know, adoption, Luke. Uh, how can you make the case that it's going to go from very low adoption today? I think it's around like 1% if you're measuring it based on on-chain data to 90% adoption uh, by 2030. Maybe we can get to that a little bit later. But my argument is hinged upon the fact that Bitcoin is a monetary technology. Okay, It's not... Uh, I don't think we should be measuring adoption uh, by how many people are using it. I think we should be measuring adoption by how many coins there are available for sale on exchanges and who are the people actually allocating and adopting Bitcoin with their monetary energy. So I made the case that 2020 was that inflection point. And now that we have these billionaires like Michael Saylor, more recently we have BlackRock and all of the largest money managers around the world racing to adopt Bitcoin. And we haven't even talked about the fact that nation states like Oman, the Kingdom of Bhutan and El Salvador are all mining Bitcoin. I'm making the case that these large entities who are bringing a large amount of economic activity and economic adoption, so to say, to the Bitcoin space, these are the entities that are actually going to uh, push Bitcoin, the monetary asset, through this exponential wave um, of adoption in the 2030s. Um, I'll pause there. I know I've said a lot, but essentially, uh, when you run the maths, um, I just use the multiplier effect. Um, so I think back in 2021, when I, I, I wrote this 
I think it's like an 8,000 word article. Nobody was calling it the multiplier effect, but Willie Wu has like a really cool chart on his website and it shows over the past 10 years, how much has $1 coming into the Bitcoin market pushed up its market cap? And I just said, hey, look, let's be conservative. Let's take a five-year range. So over the past five years, on average, for every $1 that's coming to the Bitcoin uh, network, it's pushed the market cap up by around 3x. So I just ran the numbers and I said, if half of the world's wealth wants to flow into Bitcoin over the next 10 years, that's $450 trillion of demand, it's going to push the Bitcoin market cap up by X and you're going to get a price tag of $64 million per coin. That's an interesting framework for adoption because most people, when you talk about Bitcoin adoption, they think everybody's using it as a medium of exchange. You know, billions of people across the world have Bitcoin in their wallet. But if you're trying to conceptualize number go up, it matters more like the high net worth individuals and institutions that are adopting it, which we're definitely seeing that progress. We've already seen Michael Saylor was the first uh, really mega billionaire to start aping into Bitcoin. And now we're getting these institutions with the ETF. Do you think the multiplier effect would grow based on more capital, right? So for example, if $1 trillion of inflows went into Bitcoin versus $10 trillion of inflows going into Bitcoin, would that multiplier effect grow with more capital trying to squeeze in there? I think so. And this is where you can get even more speculative and even more bullish because I, I've seen, I recently interviewed British Hoddle and he talks about uh, Bank of America's multiplier effect. Bank of America believes that for every $1 that flows into Bitcoin in a very narrow window of time in 2021 in the bull market, they believe it pushed the Bitcoin market cap up by like 119x. So I think the larger the amount of capital trying to come in, certainly I think it could be, we could have a higher Bitcoin multiplier effect, but I think those things are a lot more difficult to measure. And even in that article from Bank of America in 2021, they were actually bashing on Bitcoin when they cited this 119x multiplier effect. So that kind of makes me think, you know, maybe they were not being completely honest with, uh, you know, the data they were looking at and putting out there because the title of the article, I don't remember by name, but they were saying Bitcoin is far too volatile. Look at how much capital comes into Bitcoin to move it by 1%. So I, I, I think it's very difficult. Uh, but I think, yes, I think overall, I think the multiplier effect is going to be higher in bull markets. And, and I think the larger the amount of capital that tries to flow in, like a trillion dollars, like you said, I think that is going to have a larger impact on the multiplier effect. Maybe it goes up to six, 10, maybe it's 15 in a short amount of time. But it's very difficult to measure in the short term. That's why I like to kind of zoom out and use like a five-year moving average of the multiplier effect. And right now, as we speak, uh, it's actually nearly at an all-time high. I think the uh, at the time of recording, the multiplier effect is around 4.8, and that is nearly the highest level it has ever been. So interesting times for this up-and-coming bull market. Yeah, it is. And I reckon that may be a function of the liquid supply and exchange balances plummeting, right? So that incremental demand with less supply, it's going to have a bigger multiplier effect. The metric you alluded to with Willy Woo's measurement, do you know what the basis for that was? Was it like realized price or something like that, that he was measuring the multiplier effect with? I believe so. Uh, so I remember he has um, two little lines on his website. One of those is something like realized price, don't remember. And then the other one is the actual uh, multiplier effect. Uh, he called it something different like the price gain per dollar for market cap invested. So I said, why don't we just call this the, the multiplier effect? This is far more uh, you know, easy to remember and recognize. So uh, yeah, that's yeah, he definitely more palatable. When you 
talk about Bitcoin adoption, a lot of people would say, and I might find myself in this camp, that it's not true Bitcoin adoption unless you're taking self-custody on chain. Mm. Would you agree or disagree with that? Like, would you consider institutions buying the ETF as Bitcoin adoption? Ooh, that's a great question. So I think there's lots of different ways to measure adoption. And this is where I normally argue with people. Uh, because I, I think Creasis has done some great work showing that, uh, you know, real adoption of Bitcoin is like 0.5%. If you measure it by how many people are storing half of their net worth in Bitcoin on chain, not on exchanges. And I, I agree with that. Uh, but yeah, so I, I, I agree. I think, I, I don't think it's going to, uh, let's, let's be conservative and let's say it's not adoption. Let's say institutions buying the Bitcoin spot ETF is not adoption, even though BlackRock is buying all of that spot Bitcoin to back up their ETF. What this is still going to do, though, is it is going to accelerate uh, what is what I've also coined as the Bitcoin Big Bang. So when there are zero Bitcoin left on exchanges, all of a sudden, for the first time in Bitcoin's life, we actually find out what is the true value of Bitcoin. Because no longer can exchanges manipulate the price of Bitcoin or do what FTX did in 2021, where they sold 80,000 fake Bitcoin. So I, I think even if the institutions do start buying a lot of Bitcoin, let's not measure it as adoption. But what they are going to do is they're going to drag a whole lot of Bitcoin off the exchanges pretty rapidly. And that's going to uh, accelerate us towards a point in time when there are no Bitcoin on exchanges. And uh, if the trend of coins leaving exchanges continues that we have seen since 2020. Uh, so over the past four years, for anyone who doesn't know, over a million Bitcoin have left exchanges. It's going to be around 2028, 2029, there's going to be no Bitcoin left on exchanges. Uh, so I'm far more interested by what happens then as opposed to are these institutions buying Bitcoin uh, for the right reasons and are, are they going to trade it? Are they truly adopting it? Um, I'm more interested by uh, what them doing this is going to do to, to the exchange balance. Right. I definitely agree with that. Their reason for buying the Bitcoin isn't as important as the fact that they are buying Bitcoin and taking it off the exchanges. That metric of exchange balances is probably the second most bullish on-chain metric I've seen other than the HODL waves. The combination of those two just gets me so fired up for the next bull market. Do you see concern with the ETFs and these institutions having a large supply of Bitcoin and what would you say to someone who's like, oh, well, they'll just be the new price manipulators, unlike FTX, where they're selling paper Bitcoin, you know, maybe the ETFs will also sell paper Bitcoin. Do you think that's a possibility? And if not, then why, why don't you think so? Yeah, I think it's uh, more than a possibility. I think it's a very high possibility. I, I did an I, I did a video on this uh, maybe the second day after BlackRock uh, announced their Bitcoin ETF, and I said, "Hey, look, um, I, I think the BlackRock Bitcoin ETF could be an attack on Bitcoin." Because if you look at page 24, most people have talked about it by now, on page 24 of their Bitcoin ETF filing, they had some really interesting things to say about the possibility of a Bitcoin hard fork and how BlackRock is under no obligation to actually choose to follow the most economic chain of Bitcoin. So this, oh, most people have been talking about this now, you know, is BlackRock going to try and fork the Bitcoin chain and create like a green proof of stake friendly version of Bitcoin. And I think that's a possibility. If, if I had to put a possibility on it, I'd say it's probably like maybe a five to 10% chance BlackRock attempts this in the future. Um, I know that might sound high to some people, but I don't trust BlackRock as far as I can throw them, to be honest. Um, I just think it's a pretty big signal that 
the world's largest asset manager is now buying Bitcoin. And I think that's more kind of actionable for us. Um, nobody knows what they're going to do with their intentions or wh- which government might tap them on the shoulder. But it's it's a lot easier orange peeling uh, people for us. We could just say, hey, look, you know, world's largest asset manager buying Bitcoin number go up. Uh, so I think, uh, you know, everything is good for Bitcoin. Yeah, I mean, that's another reason to hold your own keys because if you just have the ETF and BlackRock decides they're going to go with the green proof of stake Bitcoin fork and that's the new big quote-unquote Bitcoin that backs your ETF, you don't actually have the real Bitcoin. I wonder how the price would respond in that that scenario because with other hard forks, Bitcoin Cash, Bitcoin Satoshi Vision, Litecoin, they all go down in terms of Bitcoin, but if the largest capital allocators in the world are buying the hard fork instead of the real Bitcoin, then that might not be that great. I mean, do you see like a a bleak future in that scenario? I think if we got the BlackRock proof of stake green uh, Bitcoin uh, hard fork in that hypothetical scenario, I think that would be, I think it would be most challenging for Bitcoin purely because if we saw that hypothetical scenario, they would be throwing all sorts of money at the lamestream media, spreading all sorts of FUD. So I think a lot of normies would gobble that up. Uh, I'm very interested to see what would happen. But I think over time, like uh, I I probably have like a 99% probability that uh, eventually we would choose uh, the most economic chain of Bitcoin, which is real Bitcoin, Uh, self-custody Bitcoin, uh, Bitcoin that, uh, you know, Bitcoin where Bitcoin miners are using coal, hydro, gas, whatever energy source they want to mine the Bitcoin. Right, I agree. And the optimistic look is that BlackRock owns a lot of these public miners, so they wouldn't want to advocate for a switch to proof of stake because they want the miners to continue to produce Bitcoin using proof of work, tapping into all sorts of various energy sources like you alluded to. So everything really is bullish for Bitcoin. There's not really a scenario in which this could go wrong that I've been able to foresee Another way to measure Bitcoin adoption, and you're the best person to talk to about this because you are sort of a digital nomad. You've been to El Salvador and Argentina, and they are adopting Bitcoin as a medium of exchange. So can you talk a little bit about both? Let's start with El Salvador. What's life like? Like, what's it actually like there? Are you using Bitcoin on a regular basis? Are the people actually orange-pilled, or is it just something they're kind of playing around with? I think so. Firstly, in El Salvador, for me, uh, I, I I lived there for six months in 2022. Made a video on my time, and I spent Bitcoin on over 300 occasions. So 99.9 percent of my transactions were made in Bitcoin. Uh, so if you're a Bitcoiner, you can pretty much spend Bitcoin everywhere. All the major grocery stores, uh, all the major pharmacies, big tech stores, they all accept Bitcoin. Uh, so that's great. Um, uh, Bitcoin adoption by the locals. Um, probably 5% if I had to guess, like maybe it's, you know, 5% um, in, you know, the major city have adopted Bitcoin and out in like Bitcoin Beach or uh, Bitcoin Berlin, where it looks like there's a new thriving Bitcoin community being built out there, which is really cool. Uh, Like I think maybe adoption in Bitcoin Beach would be a little bit higher, uh, which is really cool. Uh, but I think like it's been very easy to orange peel people in El Salvador because a lot of people are far more, you know, uh, receptive to the idea now. They've had Bitcoin made legal tender for the past two to three years. I'm actually headed back there in three days to uh, uh, head head over there for the girlfriends, uh, see the girlfriend's family for Christmas. And I'm going to do another little video kind of looking at adoption and how it's kind of 
changed in the past six months that I've been away. So I'm really interested to see what's going on. But I think like adoption in El Salvador from the local people who aren't Bitcoiners, I think it's higher than any other country I've been to. So I've been to 12 states in America over the past couple of years and 12 to 13 countries now in Latin America. And adoption in El Salvador is by far the highest out of any of those places. Uh, so uh, it's not huge. It's not 50%, certainly not 60% or anything crazy like that. But I think, you know, maybe 5 to 10% of the locals are still regularly using the Chivo wallet and, you know, learning about Bitcoin. I'm constantly getting messages uh, from the girlfriend's two brothers now because uh, they saw the price of Bitcoin rip over the past, you know, three months. And they're kind of messaging us saying, hey, we want to buy some Bitcoin. You know, what do we do? Blah, blah, blah. So I'm going to get them set up with some hardware wallets when we head back uh, to El Salvador next week. So, yeah, really promising signs in El Salvador. That's awesome. And it's unsurprising, right? Because their president, Bukele, has been such a vocal advocate for Bitcoin. And it reminds me of the clip from uh, Saifedean. I don't know what show he was on, but he referred to Bitcoin adoption as similar to gunpowder adoption, right? It's not necessarily a choice like we adopt the iPhone because it makes our life more convenient. Adoption of Bitcoin is a necessity. The tribes and civilizations that didn't adopt gunpowder, they got wiped off the face of the earth. You needed it. And it's the same thing with Bitcoin. You're your economic energy will get wiped away if it's left in fiat. So Bitcoin adoption at the end of the day, especially for these third world countries, more so than in the West, it's a necessity. It's not a luxury. Yeah, and I see that differential in Argentina where they currently have real inflation of 250% per year. Uh, and like the uh, the necessity to actually adopt Bitcoin like it's gunpowder is far higher in this country. Like you'll see, uh, uh, like I think if there's a country that's going to rival El Salvador in terms of Bitcoin adoption, it would have to be Argentina. Um, like it's 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 actually very easy to use Bitcoin um, as you know as a, as a money here in Argentina. It's great. I'm actually about to go for a massage in exactly 28 minutes, uh, and I'm I pay for that using Bitcoin, which is really cool. And they even actually brought it up to us first. So we messaged them and said, "Hey, can we come for a massage?" And uh, we booked it in, and they said, "Hey, uh, can you pay using crypto?" That was their words, and we said, "Yes, we can pay via Bitcoin." And so we pay for our massages here with uh, the Lightning Network, which is pretty cool. Um, so yeah, I think adoption in Argentina uh, it's, it's it's far more of a necessity um, in in the needs to find Bitcoin. That's awesome that they reached out to you. I'm I'm thinking that's the way we really get the Bitcoin circular economy. It's not going to come from the consumers asking to pay in Bitcoin. It's going to come from the producers, whoever's providing the good or service, demanding that you pay in Bitcoin. Like, I don't want your Argentine peso. I don't want your dollar. I don't want your stablecoin. You have to pay me in Bitcoin. What are your thoughts on Javier Melelli? I can't pronounce his last name. I know you were in Argentina the night he got elected, if I, if I understand correctly. So what are your thoughts on him? I know there's sort of mixed opinions because he might be like a WEF puppet. He's friends with Zelensky, but he's also like this extreme libertarian and he's talked about being pro-Bitcoin, but he's also talked about being pro-dollar. So what are your overall thoughts there? Yeah, I've gone deep down this rabbit hole. Uh, so I made three different videos on Javier Millet. First video I made was two to three months ago. And I said, hey, look, let's be super cautious. This dude is on the website of the World Economic Forum. What's going on? Why are there videos of him waving an Israel flag and a Ukraine flag? 
Is this guy just supporting the current thing? Um, so that's very dubious. He he also met up with Bill Clinton last week in America. Um, as soon as he won the elections, he flew to America. Uh, many people have speculated that he's in attempts to actually uh, try to get the country some dollars so he can dollarize it. Uh, the big issue with him wanting to dollarize Argentina right now is the country has no dollars. Uh, so again, he was photographed with Bill Clinton last week. So I'm well aware that, you know, this guy's engaged in some questionable activities online. Um, but I went and watched his only interview that he's ever done um, or been a part of with the World Economic Forum. So it was a roundtable in 2014. I watched the whole thing. It's kind of translated into English. Um, and the two times that he spoke in this hour-long interview, he gave the World Economic Forum like the big middle finger. Um, he, he got asked a question about economic activity and employment in Argentina, and he used that question as an opportunity to call out the economic minister in Argentina as a socialist and a Marxist. And the only other time he spoke in the interview, he called out the education system in Argentina for brainwashing people to become socialists and Marxists. And he's never had any more affiliations with the WEF. I haven't seen him do another video with the WEF. Uh, so I'm guessing he, he went there in 2014. Uh, <laughs> he gave this interview and he never got invited back. So I'm hopeful of Javier. Again, massive caveat that most Bitcoiners are very uh, prudent in saying, you know, never trust a politician. I see all of that. Uh, but I'm most bullish. If I had to be bullish on a politician, I'd be most bullish on Javier because I think it's far more important to actually look at what he's doing. And even like the day after he was elected as president last week, um, he made like an announcement. He said, there is no negotiation. We are closing the central bank. Um, so... I think I provided both perspectives there of Javier, the bullish and the bearish. Um, but overall, on net, I'm I'm a cautiously bullish on Javier, and I'm really interested to see what happens in the next two years and to see whether he's going to get any more power in the House and the Senate. That's incredibly based that he called him out to their face. Yeah. And I'll have to I'll link your videos in the description so the audience can check them out because certainly conflicting opinions. And that's one of the things I love about Bitcoiners is our knee-jerk reaction to any politician is to not trust them, which I think is the appropriate response. But he's considering he's actually shutting down the central bank, you got to give him props, right? You know, you have to give credit where credit is due when politicians do things that are, are good for Bitcoin. You mentioned to me off camera that you think Bitcoin adoption is good in the United, like in the United States. And you coined, I guess it's called the bill, the Bitcoin milkshake theory, uh, kind of a play on the dollar milkshake theory. Can you explain what that is? Yeah, so the really high-level thesis uh, is that I am a massive dollar milkshake theory maximalist, uh, uh, which was a theory proposed by Brent Johnson back in 2018. It essentially says every single currency around the world is going to hyperinflate before the United States currency. I think that's going to happen. Uh, even though the US has all these issues with the debt ceiling, we say that every couple of months, uh, their interest costs are nearly over a trillion dollars a year. I understand all of that. Uh, but I think there is massive demand for US dollars out there around the world. And here in Argentina is a massive example of that. Uh, everywhere here in the country, uh, people want US dollars. Like it's literally uh, here in Argentina, I think they hold between 10 and 20% of all the US dollars around the world in Argentina in one country. So there's 52 countries that are dollarized. Argentina has like 10 to 20% of all the physical US dollars. It's crazy. Uh, we go walking down the main street 
and every two seconds you'll hear like a money changer. Uh, so they're always trying to get people to swap dollars and they use the word cambio, cambio, cambio is the word for change. Um, so it's a, um, like it's an actual fully functioning business here in Argentina, just swapping pesos to dollars. So this uh, Argentina is one example of a country that once their local currency hyperinflates, they want dollars. And there is stable coin adoption here, significant stable coin adoption. Lots of the merchants are using Tether, um, even if they're using it on shitty centralized uh, blockchains like Tron and Ethereum. Uh, they still want digital dollars because it's better than the peso. The peso is like toilet paper here in Argentina. Um, so yeah, my overall thesis is uh, the entire globe's currencies are going to hyperinflate. They're going to want US dollars. And a lot of these countries are going to actually adopt uh, US dollar stable coins. Most people think that a, uh, you know when a country adopts Bitcoin or stable coins, you know, it's bad for America. I actually think it's good because in these countries uh, that decide to adopt Bitcoin, what they're also going to actually have to adopt is the US dollar. So if we run through a hypothetical thought experiment, what happens if Turkey hyperinflates its currency tomorrow and adopts a Bitcoin standard? A lot of some people will say, okay, that's bad for America because a country is choosing to use Bitcoin. But I don't think that's true because Turkey cannot just adopt Bitcoin. Uh, Bitcoin's far too volatile to actually use as a unit of account. So if Turkey hyperinflates tomorrow and adopts a Bitcoin standard, Turkey's probably also going to have to use the most stable currency around the world uh, to use as a unit of account and as a, and a pricing mechanism for goods and services every day. And that is still the US dollar. So if Turkey hyperinflates, adopts a Bitcoin standard, they're still going to have to adopt the US dollar for a unit of account. And wherever you see Bitcoin adoption increasing around the world, it's no coincidence that you also see high US dollar stablecoin adoption. And so this Bitcoin milkshake thesis, uh, it's like a, I think I wrote like 15,000 words on this in 2022. And I, I found that like over 90% of all the US dollar stablecoins are actually backed up by US government debt. So if a country like Turkey or Argentina adopts US dollar stablecoins, and if they're 90% backed by US government debt, all of a sudden America, Uncle Sam, has found a sugar daddy uh, for the unwinding of the US petrodollar system. Because everybody's looking at America, they're saying, look, Russia, China, Saudi Arabia, the BRICS, they're all dumping US dollars from their reserves. The petrodollar is doomed, it's unwinding. And that's true, I see all of that. But uh, like if the stablecoin market can actually take over that demand and if it continues to grow precipitously like it is, that could actually be really good for America. So I make the case in 2022 when everybody thought America was cracking down on Tether, it's going to kill Tether. I made the case, look, uh, Tether's actually buying a lot of US government debt. Tether is selling all of its risky commercial Chinese paper that it used to hold on its balance sheet. It's swapping that for safe, safe uh, US government debt. So, you know, I, I in 2022, I said, look, I don't think the US government's going to come after Tether. I think they're actually, I think they've tapped them on the shoulder and they said, if you buy US government debt, we'll let you do your thing. Um, so yeah, my that's the overall thesis. I think we're going to see, um, you know, uh, hyperinflation, hyperdollarization, and then we're going to see hyperbitcoinization. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense because we're running out of people or entities to buy treasuries and stable coins can really step up. And the idea of you know Bitcoin adoption also leading to more dollar adoption in these other countries does make 
does make sense. That's something I hadn't thought about before because they want Bitcoin as savings, but when they're conducting global trade, they do need something that is less volatile on a short-term basis. So they're going to adopt the dollar. I guess the counter argument to that though would be part of Bitcoin adoption is separating themselves away from the dollar and sort of having to be subject to the rule of the United States government. So how do you see that aspect to other countries adopting Bitcoin, right? Because they don't want to necessarily hold a bunch of treasuries and be super reliant on the dollar and have the U.S. be able to hold that over them. Yeah, I, I sadly think it's inevitable. I, I am going to be absolutely shocked if a country adopts a Bitcoin standard and there's no U.S. dollars in the country. I don't think it's any coincidence that a dollarized country was one of the first ones to adopt Bitcoin as legal tender, uh, El Salvador. Um and yeah, so I, I just see that's that's probably just how it's going to shake out. I, I think uh, I think it's just like if Turkey hyperinflates its currency tomorrow, uh, they're already suffering 100% inflation. So it's a terrible unit of account. Um, I just think if they adopt a Bitcoin standard, they're probably going to have to adopt the most stable uh, medium of exchange. And I still think that's the dollar. Uh, so yeah, I'd, it'd be interesting. They could use the euro. Uh, they could use the Chinese yuan. I don't think that's going to happen. But yeah, I still think that uh, the dollar's king, and it's going to be the last uh, the last currency to fail before hyperbitcoinization takes over. How long do you think it'll take for the dollar to fail? <sighs> Love that question. So uh, I think in that 2022 article, I made the case for why uh, by 2030 there's only going to be three currencies left around the world. It's going to be Bitcoin, US dollar, and maybe like a uh, the Chinese yuan or like a BRICS currency. Uh, so I actually see this wave of hyperinflation happening really rapidly. Like I think in the next 10 years, I, I, I'd be very surprised if there were more than 20 currencies uh, by the end of 2030. So you, you have your Australian dollar, your Canadian dollar, the euro, Chinese yuan, you know, Russian ruble, US dollar and Bitcoin. I think you'll see like the top 10 or so. That's probably my base case. But I, I've been a little bit provocative in 2022 and I said, don't be surprised if there's only three currencies left by 2030 because I think it's kind of like a domino effect and things can uh, like accelerate seriously rapidly. Yeah, I agree. And I think over the long run, money always trends to one money because having all these different currencies, it just creates inefficiencies. And for most of human civilization, gold was the one money. We're just kind of in this awkward middle period where you have all sorts of different fiat currencies. And I think... Yeah, maybe 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, we get back to one money and that money would be Bitcoin. Yeah, so I see like, I, I think the the Bitcoin and the dollar relationship could be really interesting. Like there could be, it could take a decade uh, for where we're using the US dollar as like uh, the medium exchange for the world and Bitcoin's the world savings account. But we might just not have the infrastructure to onboard everybody onto these layer two and layer three solutions. So it might literally take a decade before the entire world is hyper Bitcoinized. Um, and like uh, Alex Svetsky has a really interesting thesis. I, I think it's the three generation thesis surrounding Bitcoin. He thinks it's going to take like 60 years for the, the normies and the masses around the world to actually become acclimatized to saving in Bitcoin and not, uh, you know, trying to use uh, the US dollar. So I, I, I think I think Bitcoin could, t I think my base case is Bitcoin takes over as the world's dominant store of value really rapidly this decade. I think I'd be shocked if Bitcoin's not worth tens of millions of dollars a coin. I've got the maths for why it could be $64 million by 2030, but I, my base case is at least, you know, $10 million by 2030. 
And then I don't really know what happens after then. Do, does it take a decade for the world to kind of, uh, you know, slowly uh, get itself off the US dollar as a medium of exchange and fully hyper Bitcoinize? I'm not sure, but it's going to be interesting. What do you think happens to Bitcoin's purchasing power after this extreme monetization phase we're going through the next decade? Do you expect it would just gradually go up as we increase productivity and there's sort of technological deflation and it increases in purchasing power that way? Or do you think it would just you know, remain sort of flat almost in real terms? No, I think Michael Saylor and Samson are right when they say it's going up forever. Uh, I think Bitcoin. Uh, I think Bitcoin will never flatten off. Uh, I think you know, as the world becomes more and more productive in the future, uh, all of a sudden, all of this excess growth and productivity uh, the world's going to see it's going to be stored in the world's hardest money. And if we are on a Bitcoin standard, hypothetically, um, and if you know, quote unquote GDP or let's say productivity, that's a far better word than GDP. If productivity is growing at five to ten percent per year. Uh, I think Bitcoin is going to be appreciating at five to ten percent per year. Uh, so I don't, I don't think it's ever going to slow down. I, I've done interviews with Knut's Van Home, and he, he, he throws out some really bullish numbers. He believes Bitcoin can appreciate. Uh, well, he believes that the world's productivity can uh, appreciate by 10, 15, I think maybe even 20%. Um, I don't want to, you know, misquote what he said, but I think um, I'm certainly receptive and open to that because I think if you look at one of the consequences of the fiat standard is it absolutely squashes productivity. It completely disincentivizes capitalism and it disincentivizes anyone to start a business. Who wants to put up with a thousand fucking pages of rules and regulations and, you know, being taxed 80% depending on what country you're living in? Nobody wants to put up with the hassle. So I think a Bitcoin standard, if it does actually lower the size of government and if it does remove a lot of these rules and regulations eventually, I think that could take a while, that battle. Um, I, I think all of a sudden you could see so many business owners uh put their toe in the in the water and actually create a business i think that's gonna you know the world's productivity is gonna grow astronomically i think five to ten percent is like a very conservative bearish case uh, for what the world's capable of on a bitcoin standard i 100 percent agree because with the fiat system we have these artificially low interest rates which allow zombie companies that are just destroying capital to survive endlessly and on top of that you get all this government spending on these programs or they're not actually producing any goods or services so all that all the human capital that's working in government and then all the physical capital that's getting misallocated at bad businesses that's going to be forced to do something else and be more productive and on top of that if bitcoin goes through this massive monetization phase who's going to be in control of most of the capital in the world it's going to be bitcoiners people like you and i with a solid understanding of austrian economics and how value actually is is created for a society proof of work so it's going to be the Bitcoiners going out there and starting businesses. So not only on a Bitcoin standard is Bitcoin taking a larger chunk of the pie of global wealth, but the pie itself will grow because we won't have these roadblocks of the fiat system that hinder productivity. 100%. And this is why I love doing interviews uh, with Bitcoiners like yourself that really makes you think. And I think when you actually are forced to uh, speak about a concept, it makes uh, it makes you actually kind of harden your uh, thinking surrounding that concept. I just thought of an idea that I'm going to turn into an article in a video. I'm going to call it the productivity flywheel on a Bitcoin standard. So this, so let's start at a, a, a you know a hypothetical example. Let's assume uh, the productivity of the world is growing at five percent per year. And a lot of people say, what does debt look like on a Bitcoin standard when the money is appreciating by five percent per year? 
Well, if you're going to start a business and take out a loan in Bitcoin, you must be creating a business that is more profitable than 5% per year so you can pay back your loan. And all of a sudden, I actually see this creating like an exponential flywheel of productivity because all of a sudden, the only business owners taking out loans are those who can create a, uh, a product or a good or a business that's appreciating faster than 5% per year. So if such a brilliant idea is created, all of a sudden that could drag global productivity up by 6% or 7%. And then all of a sudden Bitcoin's appreciating by 6% or 7%. So then if you're going to take out a loan uh, at that time, all of a sudden now you need to create a business that's appreciating uh, at, at better than 6 or 7%. So it's going to like create this flywheel of productivity. So yeah, I think the more I think about it, the more I think people like Knuts van Home and uh, our good friend from Australia, Peter Dunworth, uh, 100% on the money on this, where we start talking about some really mind boggling uh, numbers um, surrounding Bitcoin. And I think this is the really difficult thing because no one can think exponentially. Uh, we're not used to thinking exponentially. So I think we could see some pretty really crazy things on a Bitcoin standard. Yeah, and... I guess that's why it always sort of boils back down to one Bitcoin equals one Bitcoin when you're really trying to value it because using political currency units as Luke Broyles coined that term, it just doesn't make any sense because they're inflating forever. So it's like, yeah, $7 billion per Bitcoin, that actually sounds reasonable over a long enough time horizon, but what does that actually get you? So. It's just going to be such an interesting shift in framework for how humans understand value because most people, they they conflate value and prices. They think the dollar is value. And I guess a Bitcoin standard will really force a shift in that mindset where people finally understand that value isn't these green pieces of paper. Value is you and I having this conversation or a farmer selling me a steak or you going and getting a massage. Like, Value is goods and services at the end of the day. And you said something there at the beginning too that I really liked, which is having these conversations really solidifies what what you know, right? I think talking is like the final stage of understanding, right? You can read, you can listen, then you can write, but having discussions finally brings it together, in my opinion. 100% agree, brother. Uh, Will said, uh, what is it? Talking is the final step of understanding. I love that. Yeah. I got one more question I want to, and I'm not sure how much you dive into US politics since you don't live in America but I also view bitcoin adoption coming from like the state level up right because the coolest part in my opinion about the United States is it's it's kind of decentralized it's the OG decentralization you have 50 different states and they can all pass their own laws and govern themselves in the way they see fit we've seen certain states pass right to mine laws very favorable to bitcoin and bitcoin miners and I view Bitcoin adoption within America itself almost like how you see with these third world countries where it's in their best incentive, their best incentive is to adopt Bitcoin. And I think we're seeing that play out on the state by state level. So a lot of people, like we talked about before, they're like, oh, Bitcoin adoption would be bad for America. But I don't think so from maybe the federal government. Yeah, they're going to lose their ability to print money and they're not going to be able to fund a lot of the stuff they want. They're going to lose some power, but it really restores power to the States in, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I, I think, I think the, uh, the, the commies in, in the blue, the Democrats, I think they're going to lose power pretty quickly. And 
I just think like their decisions to try to tax Bitcoin minus 30% in New York, it just doesn't make economic sense. Um, so I think they're going to be absolutely overwhelmed by states like Texas who are acting uh, with economic reality in mind. And I think Texas is one of the largest geographical miners in the world right now. I'm not 100% sure. I think they have at least 20% of global hash. Um, yeah, so I, I'm, I'm, pre I'm really bullish on uh, like the red states in particular that are actually welcoming Bitcoin and welcoming Bitcoin mining. And I do think a lot of Bitcoin adoption is going to come uh, from top down, so to say. Um, so yeah, I, th I think I think Bitcoin's going to be a net positive uh, for America. In, in regards to politics, I have absolutely no idea what's going to happen uh, next year with the elections. I really have no clue. I really try to tune out from it all, but I think it's really bullish that you know you're seeing RFK, uh, Vivak Ramaswamy. You're seeing uh, I'm having a brain fart. Who's the Florida dude? Um, DeSantis. There you go. Uh, DeSantis, and you've seen all of these prominent politicians running to be the next uh, US president embracing Bitcoin. And then you've got Sleepy Joe who craps his own pants and falls down the airplane stairs, the only one not embracing Bitcoin. So I think it's pretty telling. The, on the only guys on stage who can actually string a sentence together are all pro-Bitcoin. I think that's a massive <laughs> signal. Yeah, I 100% agree. That That is huge signal. And it's so cool that you know, I, I don't really, I, I hate politics as well, so I try not to pay attention to it, but I think it's fascinating that you've got RFK and Vivek going on the What Bitcoin Did podcast. Like, they're trying to appeal to Bitcoiners. There's really only a few like crazy politicians that are radically anti-Bitcoin. You've got like Elizabeth Warren and then that dude from California, and they're just appealing to their base, which already is like, doesn't really care for Bitcoin. But I think for most of the politicians that are like, they have no opinion on Bitcoin at the moment. They're all going to be incentivized to advertise themselves as pro-Bitcoin because one, Bitcoiners are going to have a lot of capital. And two, you're not really going to gain new voters by being anti-Bitcoin, but you will gain Bitcoiners that are single-issue voters. So seeing them appeal to Bitcoiners, even if you know their intentions aren't great, they're not actually like on the Bitcoin mission, the fact that they're advocating in favor of Bitcoin, I think is really bullish and it's a foreshadowing of you know how this game theory is going to play out because everyone's going to have to appeal to bitcoiners because you just lose if you don't and you don't gain anything by being anti-bitcoin exactly you gain absolutely nothing and eventually bitcoin exposes absolute it exposes your lies it exposes the lies elizabeth warren is peddling it exposes the lies gavin uh, newsom is peddling the man who tackles uh children and welcomes the communists into his state uh, i thought that's pretty unbelievable actually how quickly california cleaned up their state uh for the chinese president to come say g'day but you know then they welcome all the homeless people back in and they destroy it i think there's something going on there but maybe that's a rabbit hole for another day but yeah i think bitcoin bitcoin exposes um bad actors it exposes lies and soon enough uh little grandma lizzie warren is going to be exposed for peddling lies yes i 100 percent agree and it is crazy how quickly they cleaned up for the Chinese uh, mm. President G or whatever. When I went, I went to the Pacific Bitcoin Conference in October. It was great; had a great time. It's my first time visiting California, and it truly is mind-boggling how many homeless people are out there. Like that state has gone downhill fast, and because it used to be like the pinnacle of the American dream. Like you go to California, you know, the gold rush is how it started. That really embodied the American dream. And you had Silicon Valley, all these entrepreneurs. It was like a pop in place. 
very much aligned with the American ethos, but now it's just homelessness and, and crap everywhere. And hopefully Bitcoin cleans that up. I mean, we'll see how, how that plays out, how hard money sort of changes incentives, but it, it's kind of sad that you see, you can see a state that so embodies the American dream go downhill. But I think Bitcoin is the new American dream, right? Because there's this this opt out of the system. You know you'll be able to save and have wealth to build a to start a family, right? Because that's a, a main reason people aren't having kids is because you need two incomes, basically. You know, the past week, like these dink videos have gotten really popular, you know, dual income, no kids. It's like, if you want to have one person earning and then the other person raising the children, that's really difficult. You have to work hard. You have to develop skills to be able to get generate enough income to support a family. But with Bitcoin, you're able to save away confidently for the future and, you can buy actually buy a house in the future, right? You're I don't know how old you are. I'm 23. If I ever want to buy a house, Bitcoin's the only way for people my age to buy a house. So it's uh, it's the restoration of of the American dream, in my opinion. Hundred percent, brother. One hundred percent agree with you. I think uh, it might have been Gladstein who coined the term that you know Bitcoin is the digital declaration of independence. I'm one hundred percent on board with that idea. I, I think you know. The digital, uh, well, sorry, the, the Declaration of Independence in the 1770s only got us so far. Uh, now that, you know, the physical world has kind of reached, you know, this great stagnation, we need something to actually give us another wave of 250 years of wild innovation. And that's what I believe Bitcoin is. I think Bitcoin is um, Bitcoin being a digital declaration of independence and giving the digital space property rights. Um, that's going to be a small piece in actually creating this uh, digital industrial revolution 2.0. Uh, that's something else I'm writing a book on right now because I think like the wave of innovation we've seen in the past 250 years has been absolutely unprecedented. Like only 250 years ago, we were literally like living in farms, living in villages, toiling the ground, doing nothing. And then like 150 years later, we've supposedly put a man on the moon. You know, you can read yeah. into the, the moon landing all you want, but we do have rocket ships that can go significantly faster than the horse and carriages we were using only 150 years ago. So I, I think, you know, it's really interesting. We're in this kind of great stagnation. We're in this kind of cultural degradation with this dink movement and all of the other madness we see in, in society right now. Um, I, I think it's going to take uh, like a, a a digital industrial revolution to uh, give us another big wave up in terms of uh, human flourishing and uh, then the next wave of productivity our civilization sees. That was well said. It'll be crazy to see where technology's at the end of our lifetimes because yeah, if you rewind 100 years ago, the world looks nothing like it does today. And mm -hmm. with AI plus Bitcoin, I think we could see humans flourish like we've never seen before. Population boom um, and get back to the, the good times, right? Because the, you know, the, the fourth turning idea or whatever, right? We're, uh, we're entering the hard times, but the hard times are going to make good men and good men plus Bitcoin should make for some good times. Luke, I really appreciate you taking the time to come on, come on the show and, and share your ideas. Where can we send the audience to keep up with what you're doing? Yeah, so shitposting on Twitter. Uh, it's just my name on Twitter. Uh, I'm making Bitcoin-only educational videos on the Money Matters uh, YouTube channel. So I work full-time for a Bitcoin-only company, Coinbeast. Uh, if you want to watch my ramblings on YouTube, I'm making regular videos there. Uh, if you want help with growing a YouTube, uh, hit me up. I also do that as well. Uh, thank you so much for your time, brother. I'm really enjoying everything you're doing over here at Blockware. Thank you, Luke. I appreciate it.